This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. When we ourselves demonstrate the heart and the passion and the desires of God in our works and in our deeds. It's a demonstration of what's already been done in our lives. We were created for this very purpose. The world would be able to look at us and realize the truth of who God is. This isn't a salvation of works. It's a salvation unto works. How does a person become righteous? How does a person become a Christian? Is it by being good? Maybe not swearing or maybe enough attendance at church. Maybe it's by tithing or volunteering your time to those in need. Well, the truth is that none of these make you righteous. None of them will save you. Our salvation isn't determined by what we do or don't do. It's determined by what Jesus did. All we need to do is accept him. He'll direct our path. Let's join Pastor David in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 23, for the conclusion of our message entitled, An Effective Grace. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Wait a minute. You just said faith only. Beloved, understand that again, in the context of all that James is saying, it is faith only, but it has to be a saving faith. Looking at the context, understanding what he's speaking, he's speaking about the importance of a changed life. The life of an individual who says that they have faith, and in that faith we see a dynamic change going on from the inside out. What he's doing is he's speaking against what's called easy believism. I would ask the question this morning. You guys don't want to go to hell, do you? How many of you want to go to heaven? Would not nearly every hand in the auditorium be raised? The only way to get to heaven is to receive Jesus. You want to receive Jesus. And nearly every hand would be raised. And we see this so many times. What looks to be a mass conversion, but is it really and truly changed hearts? If the question were a little bit different and said, how many of you are willing to die and surrender everything that you have? How many of you are willing to give everything that you have and that you own? How many of you are willing to leave everything behind to follow the man that was crucified? Well, that's not nearly as tempting of an offer. How many of you are willing to suffer the persecution the pain and the trials of following Christ. You see, that's it's a different kind of a question. Easy believism does not save anyone. He knows, James knows, as he's writing these things, that a true and a living faith comes to an individual. They will be changed. He goes on, verse 25, Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James is declaring that if our faith 
is real and alive, it will have an effect on us that changes both our inside as well as our outside person. And he's not in opposition to what Paul writes. As a matter of fact, we could look at it as actually being a juxtaposition that, again, he's laid alongside of. It's like two complementary entrees within the same meal, the same meal that we're enjoying together, looking from two different directions, but in essence saying the same thing. Both of these men, led by the Holy Spirit, they're serving up dishes that complement each other. The same meal that speaks to the same reality of the truth of a living and real faith. That's why Paul adds to verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2 that verification of the necessity and the reality of good works within the lives of Christians. Look back in Ephesians again in verse 10. After telling us how much our salvation is the work of God's grace and through faith, he then expresses what that faith looks like. In verse 10 he says, we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for what, church? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're to walk in good works because God has changed our lives from being sons and daughters of disobedience and again the children of wrath to now we are the children of God. And therefore God says, no longer live like a child of hell, live like you are a child of the king. Those choices and directions of our life need to change. And when Paul tells us that we are his workmanship, he uses a beautiful Greek word, poema. And poema has that meaning of the thing that's made or the workmanship or the craftsmanship. And it's where we get our word poem for. You are God's poem. He's written you specifically. He's designed you and purposed you intentionally. When we have the workmanship of God in our lives, beloved, people around us ought to be able to see whose we are. When we ourselves demonstrate the heart and the passion and the desires of God in our works and in our deeds, it's a demonstration of what's already been done in our lives. We were created for this very purpose. That the world would be able to look at us and realize the truth of who God is. This isn't a salvation of works. It's a salvation unto works. Listen to what Paul tells us. Very similar words over in the book of Titus, chapter 3. And you can turn there, just listen. Titus, chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient. We were deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and through the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Did you catch all that Paul gave in that short little verse? The kindness and the love of God, not the works of righteousness that we've done, 
but it's according to His mercy that He saved us. We're justified by His grace. Paul again expounds upon that. All of these are in perfect alliance with what he's saying here in Ephesians chapter 2. But just like in Ephesians 2 verse 10, here in Titus, Paul doesn't stop with easy believism. He goes on in verse 8 of Titus chapter 3, and he says, This is a faithful saying. And these things I want to affirm constantly. I want to tell you over and over again. I want to repeat these things to you in order that you might understand them more clearly, in order that you might grasp them. He says that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Did you catch that? I want to affirm it constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. That means it is a choice that you and I are making on a continual basis. I need to be careful to maintain good works. That means I need to put my flesh in check continually, continually. I can't just say, well, Lord, that's just the way I am. No, that's not the way I am. That's the way that I was. But I am a new creation in Christ. The Word says that old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And now by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, I can determine in my own heart, I don't want to live that way. I want to live for His glory. I don't want to live like a child of hell. I want to live like a child of the King, my King Jesus. That's why Paul says we're His workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And some of you say, okay, I get that. I get it. I understand. You've pounded it in enough. So just just give me a list and I'll go get busy. Basically, if that's your attitude, then you've probably missed the whole point. It's not as much about a list as it is a heart that desires to be found faithful in all things. You see, with a list, I can go down, check it off, check it off, check it off, check it off. Okay, I'm good for that. And I don't need to worry about relationship at all. And yet God says, no, it's not about a list. It is all about relationship, about living my life in a way that pleases Him. Now, don't get me wrong. I could give you a list. Uh, churches and religion are real good at giving lists, aren't they? As a matter of fact, all through history, the church has given lists. And if you do this, and if you go here, and if you take this, and if you do those things, then at the end, don't worry, you'll be fine without ever looking at the heart. I could give you a list. I could say, hey, what you need to do is you need to teach Sunday school. Hey, you need to tithe a little bit more. Hey, you need to serve as an usher or a greeter. Hey, you need to tithe a little bit more. Hey, uh, you need to work in the nursery or you need to serve on this committee or maybe you need to tithe a little bit more. There, you know, there's, there's a lot of easy lists that we could give. And it makes the religious rulers feel good because everybody's obeying, but it does absolutely nothing for your heart in relationship to Christ. I think the question that all of us need to simply ask is, Lord, what would you have me to do? In my particular situation, with my particular place in life, with my giftings or in spite of my limitations, with my resources or lack of resources, what would you have me to do for your kingdom, Lord? And perhaps he might call you like he did Peter and James and John and Andrew. 
and the rich young ruler. Do you realize that he gave all of those guys the same call? Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and the rich young ruler. It was all the same call. Leave everything and come and follow me. And the four boys, the disciples, they did that. But the rich young ruler, what did he do? He counted what he had. And to him, that was more valuable than following Jesus. And the word says that he went away sorrowful. What would the Lord have you do? Maybe your call might be similar to what the call was to the Samaritan woman or that Gadarean demoniac. And do you realize their call was the same too? Jesus said, no, don't come and follow me physically. Stay in the villages where you are at. Stay with the circle of influence of people that you know and live your life to my glory in order that the people around you might see the change of your heart, might see the change of your actions and realize the truth and the reality of a mighty God who saves and changes individuals. Maybe you might be called like men like Ananias. You remember in the book of Acts, Ananias was the one who went to Saul of Tarsus right after his conversion. The Lord told him, hey, I want you to go see Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias said, oh, no, I, I know this Saul of Tarsus. He's, he's the guy that kills Christians. Hey, no, no, Lord, you're probably thinking a different guy or you're looking for a different guy. And the Lord says, no, it's you. I want you to go. And Ananias, he's probably saying, well, Lord, I bet he's got like tattoos on both arms. And, uh, you know, he's probably got spiked hair and he's like really weird. And so, No, go, because, again, I have a calling on his life. Are you willing to go where I tell you to go? And it's the same kind of calling that he has in Barnabas. Barnabas was a son of encouragement. That's what his name means. And he too went and he was the encouragement to Paul or Saul of Tarsus, who again, the rest of the church says, no, we don't want this guy in our church. We don't want this guy in our church. And Barnabas was that kind of buffer, that go-between that says, no, He's okay. He really does love the Lord. Maybe God has simply called for you to to reach some folks that are unreachable by the church. But it's people that you're able to reach in your area of influence and your abilities. And yeah, it might call that you need to go out of your comfort zone to be enabled to do that. What about Dorcas? Remember the story of Dorcas? In the Gospels, we read about Dorcas, and the word says that she was a woman full of good works and and charitable deeds, and she was loved by many. Just a gal that just did good stuff. And the world saw that, and the world recognized that in her life. There's another lady that's found in the Gospel accounts. Her name was Anna. And Anna served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She was an older lady. We find out that she was the one that when they brought Jesus as a baby into the temple to be dedicated, that she was there and she got to not only see the Lord Jesus, but then to be able to explain to those around her that have been waiting, looking for, anticipating the coming of the Redeemer, that yes, he has come, he has arrived. Maybe with the limited resources or the limited abilities that you have, you could be the prayer warrior. You could be the one that stands as an intercessor for the needs of a multitude of people. Take a look with me in the book of Romans as we bring it to a close. The book of Romans, chapter 16. Lord, what is it that you'd have me to do? 
after Paul gives us 15 chapters of some of the most in-depth, doctrinally rich, theologically powerful writings in the book of Romans, he ends up this book with chapter 16. And in this chapter, he simply sends greetings to a multitude of people. And listen to what he says. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in St. Korea. She's a servant of the church. How does she serve? We don't know, but Paul says she's a servant of the church. He says, in order that you might receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, a sister in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. And now for all of eternity, her name is written within the word. Why? Because she was a helpful sister in the Lord. But he goes on. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now, we read about Priscilla and Aquila both uh, in the book of Acts and uh, also they're mentioned elsewhere in Paul's writings. This, this husband and wife team that have come along Paul in so many adventures. It's interesting, he says, not only have they been helpful to me, He says, but also the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for them. Well, why would that be? Well, we know that they ministered in some of the churches, but in particular the churches of the Gentiles. Who was Paul called to? He was called to the Gentiles. And because Priscilla and Aquila put themselves out for Paul, as a matter of fact, it says here that they risked their own necks for my life. And because of that, Paul was able to continue on in his ministry because they stood in the gap. They they risked their own lives for Paul. And so the churches of the Gentiles were blessed because of it. It says also, likewise, greet the church that's in their house. So they even have a a home church. They have a a church meeting within their house. Maybe that's what the Lord wants for you, to open up your home for for a home Bible study, for a small group study. You say, well, I've never done that before. Well, maybe it's time for you to step out in faith and allow the Lord to stretch you a little bit. He says, greet my beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia in Christ. He was, he was the first guy that came to the Lord there in that area. He says, greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplias, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. More than likely, that's two sisters. They look at that and they say because of the similarity of their names and both being two women, very possibly two sisters that again labored together in the Lord. It says, greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, he was chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Now, we don't believe that Rufus was Paul's brother, 
But more than likely what has taken place is in the relationship that Paul had with Rufus and meeting his mother. His mother came like Paul's mother to him. Just that kind of relationship. And some of you have that kind of a relationship with someone. Man, maybe they're not your real parents, but they're just like parents to you. Just like your mom to you because of the love. Because they're willing to be poured out into your life. We don't even get her name here. And yet the impact of her life in the Apostle Paul's life is declared here. Greta Syncretus and Phlegon and Hermas and Prathobus and Hermes. And the brethren who are with them greet Philologus and Julia. That's a cool name, Philologus. You know what that means? That lover of the word, Philologus. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus and the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. For some of these in this list, we know exactly what they did. Paul tells us, or we can go back in Scripture and see what they did. But for the biggest portion of them, we have absolutely no clue what they did. But yet their impact within the church, their impact in the Apostle Paul's life, was so powerful that Paul sent particular greetings to them. Maybe they didn't impact the whole first century church, but because they impacted one individual's life, the Apostle Paul, Paul was able to impact the first century church. You never know what the smallest thing that you do, but that it might have literally eternal and huge consequences to it or results from it. You living your life to the glory of Christ. Just asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? That I would get up in the morning and say, Lord, this is your day. Would you lead my day? Would you direct my day? Would you open up to me opportunities to be your hands, your feet, to the world that's around me? And the impact that you have on individual lives, you may never know this side of heaven. You may never know that the kindness that you showed, the love that you showed, the way that you reached out, the way that you ministered, the way that you served someone else might have an impact on them that changes their eternity and from them changing others. And for so many of these, their names even go even unmentioned. Oh, and the brethren who are with them, and the others of the household of Narcissus. We don't even know who they are, but you know what? Perhaps that's exactly what God created them for, to be in the background. So many times we we look at men like Ananias or Barnabas, and we think, well, those guys were kind of second place to the Apostle Paul. And in the world's eyes, in the world's mind, they might say, well, they were kind of like in the also-ran category. They didn't win the gold or the silver or even the bronze. They were just kind of in the race. But you know what? The impact of their life in that race made a world of difference. And maybe you'll never be up front. Maybe you'll you'll never have your name mentioned in anywhere that the world would look at. And maybe in the world's eyes, you may seem insignificant. But, beloved, in God's eyes, you are not insignificant. You are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, you yourself. You say, what, me with all my limitations, with my inabilities? Yes, you. And God wants to honor himself through your life. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God 
prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Beloved, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the world ought to be able to see in your life the signature of Christ. The world ought to be able to see in your actions, your attitudes, your directions, the reality and truth of one who is following after the Savior. I want to challenge you on that. That your prayer would be, Lord, I'm yours. What would you have me to do? Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Ephesians next time. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to The Open Word Facebook page. To stay current with what's being broadcasted here on The Open Word, subscribe to our Twitter feed at The Open Word Radio. You can subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend, follow the Open Word Twitter feed, or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.